Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. And uh, man, we had an awesome time last week. Didn't we? Wasn't that a great celebration? Man, it was awesome. Thank the Lord you guys came out, the food. And uh, for some of you who signed the Bible, who found your favorite passage uh, of Scripture and highlighted it, man, uh, this Bible was given to Miss Rhonda and I, and I've had it this week, and I got it with me, carry it with me. Somebody underlined the mind can only endure uh, or the, absorb what the seat can endure. Pastor, don't preach too long. I don't know who you're talking to. The mind can only but I love this church. I love what God is doing. And uh, man, I just feel like that we're on this great journey right now, don't you? I just feel like it's a, it's a tremendous journey. I know we're living in unsettled times. I, I know the culture right now is, is, is different in, in what we're trying to navigate every day. We wake up and we hear something. We see stuff on the news. And, uh, but I just feel like this is a tremendous journey that God's got this church on, and uh, you and I are traveling together. If you're new here, maybe you've been here just for a few uh, weeks or a few months, or maybe you're today you're a guest, I, I just want you to know that you're part of a church that truly wants to make a difference in our communities while we're here upon the face of the earth. We're not just taking up space. We're not just breathing air. We're not just doing stuff to be doing stuff. We're really seeking the heart and the mind of God, and say, God, what are you saying to us? I think we've got an interested question. We've been in this series all year long. There's over 300 questions that the Bible asks us, that God asks us, Jesus asks us. Over 300 different times, they asked us a question. And this morning, I think we got a very unique question we're going to look at in Luke chapter 7. But before we do that, I want you to look on the screen. I want you to see this tombstone. This is a real tombstone, Grace Llewellyn Smith, okay? Doesn't, she, there's no date of birth. There's no date of, uh, of death here. Just the names of her two husbands when she got married. And this is the epitaph that says at the bottom. Here's what it says. Sleeps, but rests not. Loved but was loved not, tried to please, but please not, died as she lived alone. Now, I don't know about you. That's that's a crazy epitaph to have to have on your tombstone. Amen? Died as she lived alone. But when I saw that, I, I just wondered how many graces... Or how many Grace Smiths is there in the world around us right now? How many people feel like they're just going through the motions of life and nobody is noticing them? Nobody even knows that they exist. And what I love about the ministry of Jesus, that his ministry impacted so many peoples in their life. Jesus was able to identify the needs and the hurts of individuals. Now, now most of us know in this room there there is unnecessary pain in our lives 
And there is sometimes unavoidable pain in our lives. Now just think, just think through that statement for just a second. Unavoidable pain in our life means that we live in this broken world. There's things that happen to individuals, to men and women like you and I in this broken world that is sometimes unavoidable. We didn't ask for it. It's not because we're bad people. It's because we live in a broken world. Even Christians oftentimes experience unavoidable pain. True? Come on. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have some trouble and tribulation. But then there's unnecessary pain. It's the people that we meet in our lives that we know by their decisions and their choices in life, they have brought on that pain in their lives. It's unnecessary. Why in the world would you do such a thing and experience so much heartache? Come on, you ever met those people? Some of us are here. Some of us are in this room. Some of us are watching online. We've had those unavoidable pains and those unnecessary pains. Now, what I love about Jesus' ministry and what I love about this church But Jesus found a way to engage in people's lives in both scenarios. John chapter 9, the guy, the the boy that was born blind, and the disciples said, well, who who sinned? Was it this boy who sinned or the parents? Jesus said, neither, neither. This was unavoidable pain. This has happened so that the works of God may be made manifest. We know broken things happen in a broken world, true? And then we get to some unnecessary pain people. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus' ministry is impacting many people. His reputation as a healer healer just continues to spread. But he also continues to clash with the religious people. And in Luke chapter 7, I, I don't have time to go through this whole chapter, but it's an interesting chapter because Jesus' healing reputation has now left the borders of Israel, you you got this Gentile centurion, this outcast person that he shows up, and he's got a centurion that's sick, and he just says, Jesus, I'm a man of authority. You're a man of authority. Just speak the word, and my servant's going to be healed. And Jesus is impressed with his faith, and his servant gets healed. Jesus shows up at a funeral possession that this woman, this widow, her son has died, the, the widow of of man there, and, and Jesus shows up, and the, and the casket's going by, and he just interrupts the funeral. He stops the coffin. He raises the boy, and just everybody flips out. Come on. How many understand? That would be an incredible funeral service. He just gets the boy out. John the Baptist is in prison. He's, he's questioning whether or not Jesus is a Messiah, so, so John sends his disciples and said, hey, I need some confirmation. I need a little bit of help here. Hey, I'm struggling with my belief. Is he the one or should we look at another? Jesus does more miracles. Go tell John what you've seen and heard. Then that brings us to the setting in verses 36 and onward. And Jesus here in this story is going to demonstrate Tremendous compassion as he sees and he encounters this woman that has experienced 
what most theologians believe, and if you read the story, she probably had some unnecessary pain going on in her life and maybe also some unavoidable pain. There's three characters in this story, and I'm just going to break it down. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm going to kind of navigate this. There's a Pharisee by the name of Simon. You've got this sinful woman that shows up, and then you've got Jesus. So just real quickly, just kind of give you a, a, a caption or a picture to look at. Simon, this Pharisee, has decided to have this huge party. And uh, he, he's going to have this dinner party, and with the 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 the, the People that will be invited are the important people. I mean, they're the uppities of the uppities, okay? They're, they're the elite of the elite. And he is obviously interested in Jesus, so he invites Jesus to come to his house for this meal. So they're having this meal. The meal's underway. Jesus is reclining at the table, and all the, Simon, all of his dinner guests are around, and this unexpected person enters the room. And it's a woman. Now, but it's not just any woman. Because you read the story, the Bible calls her a woman of the town, or the woman of the city. So she's a woman, but she's probably a prostitute woman. She's very sinful. Now, every woman in that city probably had their own sin. But this woman is a sinner with a capital S. You get the story, okay? Everybody knows about her. Look down at verse 37. I'll just read it for you. And behold, there was this woman in the city who was a sinner. One translation says she was immoral. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now watch this. Just freeze the frame for just a second. Somehow or another, she finds out where Jesus was. Now, we don't know. Some theologians are, they, they say, some say, well, she was following Jesus. She, she was listening about his reputation. And when she, when she heard where he was, she shows up. But she doesn't come empty-handed. She brings this very expensive bottle of perfume. We don't know whether she was invited. We, we certainly don't think she was wanted by Simon the Pharisee's response now, some theologians ask, well, how in the world did she know where, where the house was? And, and some say, well, maybe Simon the Pharisee had her over a few times, okay? Just over. <laughs> she, she knew where the house was. She got inside the house somehow or another, and she's brought this gift with her. And as she enters, she gets behind Jesus, and she starts weeping so much that her tears are falling on his feet. She takes her hair and starts wiping. Now, listen, most, most women would not even be out in public with the, without their hair being motored up. She's undone her hair. Her hair is now being used to wipe the feet of Jesus, and she pours this expensive perfume, and she's kissing his feet. Okay, you got the picture. Amazing story, Okay. You, you, you had to know, everybody in that room had to be uncomfortable at this moment, right? Come on. How, how do you respond to this? How, how do you react to this? This is, this is not an everyday event in, in a Pharisee's life or in most people's life. And Simon is, is seeing something 
and he has to make a decision, and his reaction is going to reveal his heart. Now, watch this. Note this. Every time we're moved to something, our reaction uncovers what's inside our heart. We, we, we rarely respond that it isn't somehow or another connected to the heart. But, but this is something that Simon has to... So look down at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him, talking about Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, he said, he said to himself, say it, say it, he said to himself, he's thinking, okay? Now watch this, I love this. Here's what he's thinking. Dude, if this man was really a prophet, he'd know what sort of a person this woman is who was touching him. That she is a sinner. Now watch this. He's got this cautious curiosity about Jesus, but he's so fixed about rules and relationship that he's very careful who he associates with publicly and he sees this woman doing something to Jesus that just blows his mind. It is shameful what is she is doing. So, so his eyes is fixed, and Jesus fails to, to recognize this sinful mama woman. So he says, surely this guy can't even be a prophet. If he was truly a man of God, he would know what kind of woman she was. Now listen, it's kind of like this. We're at our 75th anniversary party last week, okay? We're having dinner. Over 600-something people out there. We're all eating. And in the midst of us eating, this prostitute shows up, goes up to where Pastor Matthew is, sits down, and starts crying and weeping and washing his feet with her hair and with her tears. Do you not think everybody in this room would have said, what the? Come on. You don't think we would be blown away just a little bit if this known prostitute shows up and goes to one of our pastors and they sit there and let it happen? You follow me? That's what's happening in this story. That's what's going on. And my question that we're going to ponder is, is there any of Simon in any of us? Is there some sin? Listen, I, I'll have to confess a little bit. If I was in Simon's house that day, I don't know if I would not have did much better than what he did. Because what Simon did, he made a judgment. Write this down. Simon's measurements was based on what he saw and knew on the outside of that person. His perception of her and her activity at the feet of Jesus was all tied to the identity that he already knew about her. You follow me? See, a few years ago, there was a research done by Barna talking about perceptions of non-Christians outside the church, about Christians. Not what is non-Christians' perceptions of Christians? According to the research, 87% of non-Christians between the age of 18 and 30 said the term judgmental accurately described the Christians that they knew. 
In other words, almost nine out of 10 young people outside of the Christianity view Christians as being very judgmental. And let's face it, we Christians can be like the Pharisees sometimes, right? Come on. If I view Christianity as something in my life is making me better than you, I can become like a Pharisee. I, be, I can become very judgmental. If, if I look down at, at people's sinful actions or the, the wrong that they're doing, if, if I'm not careful, I can become just like Simon. If, listen, if Jesus was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of a woman this lady is. You don't think Jesus knew? Right? Come on. You don't think he knew? He knows what Simon's thinking because the Bible said Simon said to himself, he didn't even say it out loud. Jesus said, I got that. <laughs> I heard that. Now, what's this? The theological truth that I know we understand at Heartland, I know we got a grasp on this, listen, is that none of us can claim anything outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, I believe this church understands that all of us are sinful, broken people apart from the grace of God. We understand that. And listen, none of us, none of us, none of us, including me, none of us are good enough to merit to enter into the presence of the Lord himself without having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one that gives us access to our Father. So Simon is going to struggle. Now, watch this. I, I, I just I want to I want to give you a little bit of breathing room because some of you you're grasping for air right now. Just I want to give you a little bit of breathing. Room. Write this down. It's not sinful, or it's not a sin to make a moral evaluation of the choices and the behavior, the actions of the people around you. So, so I'm not talking about making a moral evaluation about choices or behaviors of actions of the people around us. Because oftentimes, we, again, we live in this culture right now that some people think that we're judgmental simply because we form an opinion in our minds about something that we think, our behavior that we think that could be wrong choice. It's not judgmental to, to form an opinion about whether an action is right or wrong. I'm not talking about that. Merely forming an internal opinion. Now, watch this. Listen. Merely for you and I to have an opinion about a behavior being right behavior or wrong behavior isn't itself sinful. Because I, I think it's impossible to go through life without making evaluations of other people's behavior. Now, you may be better sanctified more than I am. But listen, I, I engage people all the time. And listen, my mind goes to so many areas where I immediately have a, have a evaluation, a moral evaluation of whether or not I think that behavior is appropriate or it's not appropriate. And if I see somebody make a choice that, that I think is a bad choice or, and, or, or not, a, not a good choice, listen, so many times I will make a decision about it. I, I, yesterday, I, I was in a, in a couple meetings, and in one of the meetings, this young lady comes up, and she's got this very gothic look about her. She's totally gothic out. You, everybody know what gothic look is, okay? 
black every, I mean, she, I mean, just, and underneath that, I think it, there may be a nice person there. But the moment I see that, I made a moral evaluation. That didn't make me a bad person, but I just see that. Now, now what I'm thankful for, that, that God working in my heart, I went to the evaluation. There, there's something has to be underneath that pain. There has to be some pain, some separation, some loss of identity that, that you're trying to do something to grab attention so bad to look like that. You, you follow me? But, but it doesn't make us a bad people. Watch it. Look, look at this picture. I want to show this to you. Now, listen. You see that photo right there? You, you, you see those three getting up? Now, listen. Ladies, this is why women live longer than men right here. Okay? This is that. Now, now some of us look at this and we think, wow, how creative. How amazing. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a, be married to somebody like that? Or others look at us, probably the vast majority of this room, and said, I've never seen stupidity on so vivid display. Right? That's Troy Bercula and specialty control. No, I'm just kidding right there. I'm just kidding, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that, I thought of special. Now, especially OSHA would tear them to pieces if they did that. But what I'm seeing is that Jesus is not going to teach us that we can go through life. Somehow or another, you can get at a spiritual level that you go through life, and you're never making moral evaluations about somebody. You understand that? So just, just take a deep breath. Because I don't want you to walk out of here this morning and you feel bad or you feel like you created sin because you make a moral evaluation about when I wear purple or not, okay? Just, just relax. You're not a bad person. You're good. You're good. But what Jesus is teaching us, the problem is that most of the time, we don't have enough information to accurately evaluate. And where we fail sometimes is that oftentimes we, we get a little bit of information and we're quick to assume something with that little bit of information. Instead of us taking time to know the whole story, know what's going on, and because we don't know enough, and we make that initial evaluation, and then we make a choice, and we decide about this person is right or this wrong. And then he goes a little bit further and says, wow, there's no way they could be a Christ follower. Or, man, they, they're, they're so far off the deep land, I just don't know if Jesus could ever help them. Listen, here, here's what I know. Here's what God's working on me about. Listen, it takes humility to recognize any evaluation that I have is always tentative because I don't know all the facts. Does that make sense? Any evaluation that we make on the surface is always tentative because we don't know all the facts. One, one writer said it like this, we should be kind to everyone we meet because everyone we meet is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. See, I, I, I know this is the heart of this church. I, I know this is where we want to live at, we want to be at in our life. 
We, we have to understand that every person that we engage in right now, they're, they're fighting battles that sometimes we know nothing about that battle that they're fighting. When somebody turns to alcohol, somebody goes to drugs, or somebody has an affair, or somebody does this, or they do that, what do you name whatever? Listen, it's so quick sometimes we make a tentative evaluation on that and we make a judgment rather than saying, God, help me to be patient enough to get all the facts of the story. So Jesus is about to offer a better focus to Simon. Because see, Simon doesn't even have an idea that the Son of God is sitting at the table with him yet. He has no clue of the magnitude of the moment that he is in at that moment right now. But when we look at this sinful woman, Jesus is, is going to talk to Simon that she has demonstrated a better perception and even a better response to who Jesus really was, better than what Simon does. This woman is seeing something in Jesus that Simon at this point is blind to. This woman recognizes that Jesus, listen, he recognize, she recognizes there's something powerful about this man. There's something sovereign about this man. There's something sacred about, about, about this man that she pours out a passionate appreciation and affection towards him in the only way that she knows how to do it. This is her only means. She's weeping. She's broken. She's in the presence of divinity. But in the midst of her brokenness, as the tears hit the feet of Jesus, she takes the time. She stoops, and she wipes his feet. She cleans his feet. This Pharisee, Simon, he's had so careful observation that he has never associated with sinners, at least publicly. But this woman has had plenty of association with sinners who probably care nothing about her as an individual. They only have cared about what she can do for them. So perhaps, and I'll just stay with perhaps Jesus for the very first time in her, in her recent memory, he looks past of what she does and somehow another sees her as an individual. See, sometimes we don't see because we're unable to see. Other times we don't see because we're unwilling to see. Simon only saw what sort of a woman she was. Jesus didn't see what sort of a woman. Jesus sees this woman. You follow me? Listen, this is the Son of God. He understands. Listen, you know, right now, research and recent studies find that social rejection. Now, listen, so important. Social rejection activates the same regions of the brain as physical pain does. When somebody experiences social rejection, hurt feelings register in their brain just like a scraped knee or a bummed up foot. The feeling of invisibility, unwantedness, unacceptedness can cause chronic stress, anger, depression, and rage. And it activates the physical pain throughout the physical body, just as if they were physically being hurt. Now just ponder that for a minute. We see the brokenness of the world. We wonder how in the world could such behavior be going on? How in the world could people be responding to, to their identity the way they are? And sometimes we, we have to stop long enough and say, wait a minute, maybe they're going through this ex the extreme rejection 
Researchers found that emotional pain caused by silent treatment or totally ignoring someone. Any, any husbands here ever experienced that? <laughs> Silence treatment. It affects the chemical balance within the brain's systematic system. It triggers emotions triggered by invisibility are stored in the body. Now listen, this is amazing. Jesus knows this. He understands. Listen, we were created by him himself. He is our maker. Simon is just seeing what sort of a woman. Jesus is seeing the woman. Emotions triggered by indivisibility are stored in the body, and they react. Stress affects the heart. Worry and trouble affects the stomach, anxiety, the chest, and the upper body, and anger destroys the liver. The physical and psychological effects of feeling invisible, unaccepted, or unseen can be long-term and lead to serious mental issues and chronic physical pain. Now, just think, if some of the people that we're engaged in today and we see the outward behavior, the outward display of actions and attitudes and behavior, is it, could it be maybe because they have been so rejected that they're living those things out? So Jesus introduces this parable to Simon, which which redirects Simon's mindset. This parable has three characters. There's a lender and there's two borrowers. And if you read the story, one borrower owes a lot to this guy. The other borrower owes very little. Neither one of them can repay what they owe. But the lender is gracious and he just forgives both debts. (laughs) And then Jesus asks Simon, which one of you do you think is going to love the lender the most. Simon answers, I suppose, the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Okay, yeah, you've been making assessments and evaluation of this woman all along, but now you're beginning to understand if somebody has been forgiven a lot, they're going to love a lot. If somebody has been forgiven little, they love little. We see it all the time in the church. When people come out of a brokenness and a hurt and a dysfunction of family and they can come into a house, into a church where they feel like this is family, where they feel like they're accepted and they're loved, regardless of what their past is. Listen, those kind of people, they light up when it's time to go to church. And a person who feels like they've crossed all the T's and dotted all their I's, religiously speaking, all their life, I've not been that bad of a person. I'm not that messed up. We talk about family. We talk about church. We talk about partnership. We talk about small groups. We talk about accountability. Those are the kind of people that say, ah, I can live with it. I can live without it. You asked our guys that goes into Westville. You asked our guys that, that deal with those forgotten people in those forgotten places. When they start feeling like Heartland is family to them and we're community and we're brothers and we're sisters, listen, they light up. They light up. Why? Because they've been forgiven much. 
So what's this? Verse 44, and then turning to the woman, talking about Jesus, he said to Simon, and here's the question, do you see this woman? Wait a minute. Wait. She's been wiping your feet. She's been weeping. She's been poor. Everybody in the house can smell the perfume. Are you kidding me? Do I see this woman? No. Do you see this woman? You follow me? He ain't asking, do you see her? He's asking, do you see her? See what's going on here? And then he says this, I entered your home. You gave me no water for my feet. That was a custom that they would wash the feet because they traveled barefoot. And she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not since to kiss, ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with all, but she anointed my feet with perfumes. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which aren't too bad, what is that? Her sins, well, by some they're considered. Now, her sins, which are many. He, Jesus didn't cover up. He doesn't make excuses. But he said, to this reason, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who was forgiving little, loved little. So what did he ask Simon Peter? Write it down again. Do you see this woman? And we know Simon wasn't blind, but he did not see. He did not really see. He let what he thought he knew about her get in the way of truly, truly seeing her. He let, he, he let what he knew about her get in the way of truly seeing her. Listen, can I tell you, that's textbook prejudice. When I let my mind and my heart know what I see, your skin color, your language, your background, your behavior, your habits, when I let it know, listen, without truly seeing you and knowing you and knowing the story, what Jesus is hammering here. As a religious man, he knew she was a sinner. He had characterized her rather than seeing her. Objectifying her kept, her kept him from seeing her humanity, her pain, and what God was about to do in her life. And Jesus, Jesus is just on the other hand, he, he, listen, he knew from the very beginning what those tears was coming from. Jesus' heart let him see beyond the labels. And this is the challenge of our culture today. The challenge of our culture is how do we, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, operate in compassion to the point that we see beyond labels? We don't just look at what's on the surface. What Jesus wanted to know for Simon was, do you see her? What eyes are you looking at her with? Do you see her correctly? Simon saw her as sinful. Simon saw her as a piece of garbage who wasn't fit even to touch him, let alone be in his house and be at the feet of Jesus. 
But Jesus is going to change that. Listen, Simon views himself as being this morally superior person, and yet he truly misses, completely misses that God is right in the midst of him. See, what I'm discovering in my life, and listen, this is what, I love this church. I love what we're, I love the heart of this church. But this is, this is something we have to keep working at and cultivating in the life. Because how we see others is an indicator of how we eventually will see God. It's not just, in, just not an improper vision of others, but many times it stems from an improper vision of who Jesus is and, and how he wants to work in this world. So I'm constantly asking myself, what, what keeps me right now from seeing people? What keeps me from seeing people? What, 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 what am I missing in my neighborhood? Or what am I missing, you know, sometimes even in my own family? What, what am I listen, missing sometimes because I've labeled or I objectified their behavior? Do I truly see them? How many of us in this room, if you found a Rembrandt painting, if you found a Rembrandt painting and it was covered in mud, would you just focus on the mud? Or would you look at the photo? You look at the picture. You look at, man, I've just found, I've been garage hopping for years, but man, I've hit the payload today. <laughs> listen, most, most of us, listen, hopefully would focus on the photo, the picture, the, the drawing. We would focus on the Rembrandt. Now, eventually, we've got to get it to a specialist. We want the mud to clear it off. We, we, we want to restore everything. But listen, our initial heart response would be enthusiasm about the Rembrandt, wouldn't it? All Jesus is showing us here, listen, Jesus saw a masterpiece in this woman. You know what Simon is seeing? He's seeing the mud. When you look at people every day, when you engage in people every day, do you see the masterpiece or do you see the mud? Are, are you looking simply at, at Simon saw her as inappropriate? He saw her as embarrassing, and Jesus saw her as a human being. Simon saw her sinful past. Jesus saw what she could truly be in the present and in the future. The sad thing that happens right now in, in churches across America, listen, they just did a recent survey, Life Church. They studied the lifestyles of people under 40, okay? Under 40 in the United States of America. Get ready. One out of three women have had an abortion. One out of three women. Two out of six out of every six women have been sexually molested. The vast majority of men in under 40 struggle with pornography. Most singles, will, most singles will be sexually active before marriage. Six out of ten will think of living together before marriage is a good idea. Good idea. Five out of ten already have lived with someone. One out of seven will be abused, uh, will abuse drugs or alcohol. Two out of five will struggle with smoking. Eighty-five percent of under the 40s are unchurched. 
What do we see when we see our culture? Are we seeing masterpieces? Or are we seeing the mud? That makes sense? Listen, every one of those statistics, when some of us read those things or hear those things, we think, man, their life is muddied up. One out of three women? Or do we see masterpieces? Simon was looking at the wrong thing. I got to hurry. Write this down. Jesus tells us plainly that our love for him is directly related to the forgiveness that we receive from him. And we understand that. We, we, we understand that here Jesus is, he accepts Simon's limited love, okay? He, Simon invites Jesus to dinner. Jesus accepts Simon's limited love, and even when Simon is casting stone at this woman, Jesus still stays in the house. But he rises up and he defends the woman. You know how we know? Because he blesses her. He publicly blesses her and forgives her sins, all of them. He announced forgiveness. I love it. In verse 50, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see this woman? She was so lost in her love. For Jesus, she was poured out her tears, the perfume, and she was worshiping it at his feet. Do you see this woman? Watch this. Let me land this plane real quick. Pastor, I want to know, I want you to know right now, I don't know prostitutes. And if I know them, I'm not going to admit to it. Okay, understand that. <laughs> understand that. We're not going to take names today. We're not going to ask you to reveal. Listen, here's, here's what every person in this room, everybody watching online, everybody engaged, listen, here's what every one of us know right now. We're living in a culture that if you and I do not cultivate our compassion, it, we have a tendency to sometimes to become compassion fatigued. My compassion for this culture, for men and women that I'm engaged with every day, Listen, if, 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 if I don't keep my tank full, I run at risk of running on empty. And there's no way that I can replenish it myself. Yeah. We get overwhelmed and we deplete in, in our passion because the opportunity to, to extend compassion and be overwhelmed by the cries of our community, listen, is, is unparalleled right now. And most of us in this room understand that. Listen, some of you have got family members and friends that, that you're just this close of saying, I'm done. I'm washing my hands. I'm done. Right? Now, listen, I'm, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just, listen, the acknowledgement of that, listen, the, the, the need for compassion in our lives is staggering. And what I'm asking the Lord, what I'm asking the Holy Spirit is, God, help us to be the compassionate church that you want us to be in this moment. Well, what a difference we could make in this world if we, if, we would, if we would live out the call that God has called us to do, to love the unlovable, go to the forgotten people, go to the forgotten places, and listen, do that. But we are limited in compassion to the capacity of compassion if we try to do it within ourselves. So write this down. Our relationship and dependence upon God is what enables us, enables God's compassion to flow through us to others. It's our relationship 
and dependence on God that enables God's compassion to flow through us to others. We have to be able to connect our heads and our hearts and our hands together. And now listen, this is where this church steps out among so many churches. There's a lot of churches today that have connected their heads to our culture, to the statistics, to the stats of young people, to, to under 40s. There's a lot of churches that have connected with their head, the, the, the disability need. There's a lot of churches that connect with the head, the student ministry. There's a lot. Listen, listen. well, the, the, the struggle is how do we integrate our heads and our hearts and our hands together? Write this down. Compassion is a habit that we have to cultivate. It's a habit we have to cultivate because what I do not see with my eyes, my heart cannot grieve. If I don't see it, and if I can somehow another, do you see this woman? No, I don't see this woman. Well, she's washing his feet with her tears. She's drying with her hair. She's got this, I, I don't see it. The elephant's in the room, but I refuse to see it. You follow me? If you don't see it with your eyes, your heart can never grieve. This church is incredible that we allow the Holy Spirit to challenge our eyes and say, God, open our eyes and let us see. We've got stories of people at workplaces and in neighborhoods and families, listen, that, that you, are, you are radically making a difference for Christ and his kingdom because your head and your heart and your hands are all integrated together. We respond compassionately because our minds and our hearts are shaped by God's love in our lives. And as we, as we shape into the people that God wants us to be as the compassionate people, we, we encounter people and we respond differently than the world does. And again, when I saw this young lady, I, I immediately made my evaluation. Now, there was no opportunity for me to go and have the conversation. I'm a middle-aged man and uh, middle-aged man, and uh, I thank y'all that y'all bought into that lie so quickly. <laughs> now it makes me rethink my whole message for you. But I, I you know, I, Rhonda wasn't with me at this event. It was just some guys, and uh, but what I did, I, I just closed my eyes for. I said, God, I I know something's happening there, but for every for that for that person I'm seeing here. There's hundreds of them out there that you somehow another, you're giving us opportunity to touch and move and minister with. So what's our action points to this? Where are we going with this, Pastor Phil? Number one, just write down the word notice. Just notice. Pay attention who God allows to get in the room where you're in. Pay attention to the people that God puts around you at work or in family situations. You know, we, we've all been to those family things where we, we, we wanted to intentionally not sit at a certain table. Come on, just be honest. 
We go to those weddings and we cross our fingers. I will hope to God that they don't set me by. And I, listen, Lord Jesus, forgive us if we don't acknowledge that. But we just notice. And in noticing, we have to acknowledge that sometimes our, our natural tendency is to view others and to make evaluations without getting all the facts, without knowing the story behind the story. So the second word is shift. You make a shift. And shifting doesn't necessarily involve immediate action. I'm not talking about every time you see something, you throw on your fireman's hat and you run in to rescue and you think you're their savior. Some of us have got hurt real bad because you try to rescue every broken relationship in your life. You try to fix every problem. You follow me? Some of you have run out of compassion because you have extended it in places where God never wanted you. He wanted you to notice it. He wanted you to shift. And sometimes that shifting simply may mean, just Leo did with that girl, is I shifted away. I, I left what I was doing with the, with, with the Tiny Tots uh, program there with the bait, and I shifted over, and I just went to a, just to a, to a moment of prayer. I said, God, I, I, I can't really do anything about this. The conversation is not there, but, but compassion does require a reaction sometimes. And it wasn't, it wasn't 10 minutes later, I'm out in another situation, and this, this biker walks up to me, and he sticks out his hand, and he gives me his name, and he said, hey, I heard that you're, you're the pastor, and you pastor a biker church. I said, yes, and I told him my name. I said, I pastor a biker church, and he laughed. He said, I've always said if I was going to go to church, I was going to go to a biker church. I said, well, now you got one. Now you have, I pulled out my card. I give him a card. I, I started having a conversation. His wife walks up. He said, look at there. I'm meeting the pastor of the biker church. And I've always said, she said, you said if there was a biker church, you'd go to it. I'm, I said, I look for you Thursday night. I look for you to join me on a Sunday morning at some point. We had guys last week. There, some of them are there this morning at Full Throttle. They rode in all the way from, from Gary and Hammond there because they've been following us on Facebook. And they said, listen, I got to get to this place. This is the place where we can feel like we might be accepted. Yeah. See, compassion stops short of pity. It, compassion moves us a, into a place. And, and, and people often wonder, you know, with, with compassion, how that we... We operate in that. And, and, and listen, Jesus was a person that he didn't pity people. Pity doesn't change something. Pity doesn't heal anything. Pity that doesn't, doesn't move to something. But that third word that I want you to write down is interruptions. So we notice. This is our challenge, and this is what this church is doing. This is what we've done for 75 years. We walk around. We're noticing. What's missing in our schools? Seven, eight, ten years ago, I forgot how long it's been now, Pastor Matt. We started noticing in the schools. We heard our teachers. We heard the, the superintendents talk about the character stuff with the, with the kids. And we, we didn't have the answer. But we felt like there's got to be something out there. So Pastor Matt and Pastor John started praying, researching. They said, listen, we've come up with this tremendous program. 
It's all about the Bible, but it doesn't take the Bible. It, it, it doesn't cross the line of, of church and state that some try to use sometimes. And listen, we, we, we started noticing, and then we made a shift. But then here's what we did that most churches don't want to do. We were willing to be interrupted. Our schedules get interrupted. Every week, we have pastors, because it has to happen during the daytime, we have some volunteers that can help us. Well, we have pastors, Pastor Matt, Pastor John, Pastor Levi, Pastor Matthew, uh, Pastor James. Every week, they let their entire morning be disrupted. A bunch of snotty-nosed, hateful kids. And they go in. Before you know it, these kids are following them like the Pied Piper because they're there and they're showing up. Listen, it's easy sometimes to speed past opportunities. And one way to, to accomplish a, 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 an eruption and, a, and, and being able to respond is, is to understand the fact that when your capacity intersects or lines up, with a need, then that's where God wants you to respond. Let me say that again. Because listen, I'm not asking you to do everything. Don't, you can't do everything. But it's when, you're, when you have the capacity to do something and it intersects at that moment with, and it lines up at that moment with a real need, you're willing to be interrupted and you, you respond and you react to that. Don't get overwhelmed because you can't do everything. Don't let, because you can't do everything, keep you from doing something, right? Come on. But it's when you say, I, have the, I don't have the capacity to pay this woman's rent. I don't have the, I don't have the money to pay all these bills. Listen, then that's, that's something you can pray about. You, 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 can, you can do your best to maybe connect the dots with somebody else. But God's not asking you to put yourself into problems or the trouble trying to help somebody else. Are you understanding that? Yeah. But it's when you have the capacity. And all of a sudden, God puts you in a moment. You've noticed it. You've made a shift. And now you're being interrupted. And you can meet that need. That's when compassion moves into action. Your head, your heart, and your hands. See, that's what this church has been doing for 75 years. This is what we're focusing on these last next 75 years or 25 years, whatever. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you see her? Do you see that man? Do you see that child? Do you see that home? Do you see that couple? Do you see that family struggling? You see that mom being overwhelmed? Jesus, open our eyes to see that. Open our eyes and let us see what you want us to see. Jesus is watching us. I know he's in this house. And I know he's in this house. 
Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.